We are um, this morning in John 14, but I want to begin where Jerry kind of left off to give us context for these verses. These um, verses begin Jesus' farewell discourse, and that discourse really kind of begins at the exit of Judas out of the upper room. And this morning, um, I want us to, to begin there in John 13, 31. I know that's a good many verses, but I want to read all the way through this passage. And then we're going to talk about several uh, aspects of this discourse. It's a, it's a picture of Jesus' love for his disciples, his comfort that he wants to provide for them, his hope that he wants to offer, and then his provision uh, for his disciples, but ultimately his people. I know I just transitioned out of ministry at Lake Murray, and those last few weeks uh, were crazy because I'm trying to pass on knowledge that I probably don't even know. That was what uh, Wendy, who was my assistant there, she's like, I don't know what you know to even ask you what to teach me and make sure I do know to do when you walk out the door. And so here we've got that picture of Jesus just loving on the disciples so much that he wants to share these words so that they would be encouraged, that they'd be able to carry on, and that they would know that this is part of his entire plan, uh, what is about to happen. And so um, Jesus is it's just a beautiful picture of his love, really, here in these verses. So um, beginning in 1331, uh, this exit of Judas, when he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow, till you have denied me three times. All right, so as we begin this, this, this transition, um, which is placed here as a verse that, that is really not in the text, it's placed much later, where we begin verse 14.1, keep those verses in context. We've got Jesus speaking about love and care uh, for each other, and the fact that our love is what defines us as believers, a love for one another. And then secondly, we, the context of this is Peter's um, statement to Christ and then Christ saying something that's quite surprising, that he is going to deny him um, before morning. And so this is the context that these verses are in. As we come out of the supper and Jesus has taught his disciples in the supper, now we've got this picture of love, of expectation of love, and then also a picture of the coming denial of Christ, the, the potential of the disciples to, 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 to walk away from Christ um, is the context that we begin here in 14.1. And so Christ tells the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And in, you know the, the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now on you, now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Is it enough for us? Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I, may, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If, I ask, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We'll stop right there and then come back to that next section with the promises of Christ. So the first thing that we see here in these verses is a desire for Christ to comfort his disciples in a time of, of many questions about what is going to happen with him. And he begins with the words, um, let not your hearts be troubled. And so his desire is to calm their concerns and he's asking them to respond uh, in this time of trouble with trust and belief. And so trouble here is an idea of being agitated or stirred up inside or, or upset. So it's not so much uh, anxiety as it, as it just is potentially confusion or, or um, especially directly after this statement of that Peter is going to deny Christ, there must be uh, kind of perplexed, you know, what, what, what is these words that Jesus is saying? And directly after um, this picture of walking away from Christ, and the denial of Christ, we actually have Christ's words to the disciples on how they should respond. And he says, believe in God, believe also in me. So the response that Jesus provides for the disciples in this statement of Peter's uh, deny, coming denial is belief. And so we are not to be troubled, uh, but we are to respond in times of trouble with belief. And then God goes on to demonstrate his comfort and, and love for his people uh, through his pre preparations. So the command here is believe in God. So if we think about um, these uh, this directions or the picture of Jesus' care for them in the farewell, uh, the first thing we see here is a command to believe. So in his departure, he wants his disciples not to walk away as he's just described with Peter, but he desires for them um, to believe, to continue, continually uh, believe in what they've seen here and who they know uh, Christ to be. 
And so then he speaks of the preparations that he's made. So not only is it simply an ascent and, and understanding, but he begins to lay out the true um, things that he has done on their behalf um, to prepare them and comfort them in this time that's going to be different than be him being with them. So he goes on, and this is a passage that most often we hear at a funeral, uh, but it is connected directly to Jesus' departure and command for his people to believe and trust and continue in him uh, in, as he uh, has ascends to the Father and in his coming death. And so here it says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And so we see here, first we must take comfort in belief. The, our belief is where we begin. And secondly, we see that Christ himself has made provision for his people. And what we have here is a description of heaven uh, where Christ is going. He says here, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it weren't true, if it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So he's laid these things out in the Last Supper, and now he tells them he is, he's going to leave. But in his departure, he has made provisions. And we see here this, begin to see this picture of heaven, and we know that I think it's an old Southern Gospel song for, written in '49. I've got a mansion over the hillside. That's what oftentimes, whenever we think of heaven, we think of this um, big place where we're going to live in in, in, a, in a spot that's um, above all description. Um, Laura and I, when we went to the convention, had the opportunity to turn, tour around LA, and we went to Beverly Hills, and we see all these mansions. And, and when we think about a mansion uh, itself, oftentimes that's kind of a shrine to the individual. And it's a shrine uh, or a picture of, of, of a boasting or, or, or other things. But here Christ says, no, in my heavenly home, it's a place for my family. I've made provision for everyone. We also see in these words that when he has gone to prepare a place for them that Heaven itself is going to be our eternal uh, dwelling place. It's a, an a place of eternal lodging. He goes on in verse 3, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, uh, and you know the way to where I'm going. So heaven is a home for the family of God. There's, there's space there for everyone. Uh, who has believed and put their faith and trust in Him. And then heaven is an eternal dwelling place. It's a place where we'll have the opportunity to be eternally present, and it's an internal lodging for the people of God. And it's also a place uh, for the children of God, and it's in the description here are many, many rooms. Um, so that we know when we arrive maybe at a, a guest home and we get there and they've made their bed, they've made it, prepared everything, maybe they've even put water on the nightstand or whatever. That's just a special feeling that this place has been provided for us and that's what Christ is describing here. I am making provision for you um, so that you may be where I am and, and, may, and I'm caring for my children. He also says that he has gone ahead and, and the action, that the things that are about to happen are his 
going ahead to make preparations for his followers to come uh, behind him. So there is this picture of God's comfort uh, in preparation. And so, uh, number three, uh, verse three here, in the uh, kind of the second, after the second halfway through there, it says, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. Um, and, and then Thomas asked this question, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And so um, Jesus then uh, answers uh, with an I am statement. But first, let's look at these verses. We have this comfort of Christ's return. So he tells his disciples, don't be troubled. Um, take comfort in belief. Don't be troubled. Take comfort that I've made preparations for you. And then take comfort in the fact that I am going to return for you. He will come back and he's going to bring his followers unto himself. Thomas uh, was fam most famous for as the doubting Thomas that asked questions after the resurrection and wanted to see with his own eyes. And, but he was very, very loyal to Jesus. And church tradition says that he took the gospel uh, to India uh, after the death of Christ. And so now Thomas raises this question and says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So Thomas tees it up here for Christ to give one of his other I am statements. As Josh talked about when he kind of laid out the very beginning um, introduction to this passage, this ego a me, I am, which is directly uh, related to the words um, in the Old Testament when, when God himself reveals himself to Moses and said, he says, who shall I say sent me? And he says, uh, I am the I am. So Jesus here now is another declaration ultimately of deity, and we're going to see that uh, further as we look at these verses where Christ is connecting himself to God He's already talked about this relationship with the Father, but now he speak, his response to Thomas is this uh, I am statement. And so our next aspect of these verses is that we have hope in Christ alone. And that comes straight out of this, this statement that he, as he responds to Thomas. Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would, have known, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This I am statement speaks of the exclusivity of Christ. In Christ alone, I am the way. I am the way to the Father. What is uh, he talking about when he talks about the way? He's talking about reconciliation. That separation from God and man through sin, Jesus now gives us this picture about what's going to happen on the cross. There's going to be reconciliation. I am the way to God. And then he says, I am the truth. And what is truth? Truth is the revelation. It is um, the revealing of God to his people. And John 1 begins with Jesus as the Word, the very Word of God, the revelation of God. And here he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the revealed Son of God, and I have come that, um, 
for the very purpose of salvation. And then he goes on to say he is the life. And in life, Christ is saying he is the regeneration. He is the new birth. He's talked to Nicodemus earlier uh, in the book about this new birth. And so Jesus reminds them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the reconciliation to God. I am the revelation of God. And I am the regeneration. I am the way to regeneration. And so as he walks away, he, in these verses, he, 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 he gives to his disciples this picture of hope in him alone. The exclusivity of Christ. This is the sixth of the I am statements that we see in the book of John. And then from there, he speaks to this aspect of unity. So we have uh, comfort because we respond in belief. Trusting and believing him. God's provided for us. Christ is returning. And then we see that salvation is exclusively in Christ. And then he speaks of how we are to live in light of these things. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here he connects the relationship um, to God the Father. There's hope in unity of Christ and his Father. Um, this sh he, Christ himself shows us the Father. Um, Philip asked this question about, about uh, seeing uh, Jesus in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And is it enough for us? And Jesus said, I have been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so Christ shows us the Father. He is our uh, mediator uh, that provides the relationship, the opportunity uh, to know the Father. Um, so seeing itself, seeing Christ is an aspect of believing in the deity of, of God is being declared, of the deity of Christ uh, is being declared and the unity with the Father in a picture of the the triune nature of God is in this text as well because we're introduced to the Spirit. So you have Christ, you have the Father, you have Christ who are one. John 10, 30 says, I and the Father are one. They had already received this instruction. And so Jesus responds to Philip by tell, reminding him, whoever have seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Do you not believe I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me uh, does his works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And so, uh, again, he kind of ends this section referring back to belief, belief in Christ, belief in Father, and then he introduces um, this idea uh, of works. And so hope here is hope in the power of Christ. Um, so we have hope in Christ alone, the exclusivity of Christ, the unity of Christ with the Father, and now he speaks of the power and the, and, and the works and deeds that he has, he has done. This word here in, in the Greek is uh, ergon, which is 
means simply works. Oftentimes when we think about this verse and we think about these words, we think about miracles. Our mind goes to miracles. But the word that, that um, John uses here is just simply that the word of work, an action, a deed, accomplishment. Uh, nothing uh, spectacular per se, but simply the work and ministry of Christ. And so he tells them, I am the Father, and the Father is in me. Believe and on account of the works themselves. And so he points them back to the ministry that he's done and accomplished in their presence. Certainly he's done great healings, but he's done much teaching about the Father, which is an aspect of the works that he wants them to remember and to hold on to as, as he leaves. Verse 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than those will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We see here um, this hope um, in Christ, the power of Christ. We've got these greater works that the disciples, he is letting them know that they are going to accomplish. Uh, We know from the New Testament, especially the book of Acts and other books, that the the apostles accomplished um, a work of taking the gospel much further than Christ had. So there was an aspect of greater geography here um, as we think about what was done. They were, we have a historical record of the things that they did, and they did do greater works. There was greater geographical reach of the gospel under the apostles. There was greater uh, diversity among uh, ethnically. The Gentiles heard the gospel because of the greater work that the apostles did. Uh, There was a greater number of people that came to Christ in Pentecost, we see in the book of Acts. And so Jesus is speaking to them and encouraging them that great things are going to happen out of the ministries um, that you do and accomplish. And then he says... He speaks to this answered prayer. And so many times we will see this prayer. Like if you um, ask me anything in my name and I'll do it. It's like the genie in the bottle prayer here. But this is in the context of Jesus departing his people, providing comfort, speaking of his very exclusivity. And and he is making a promise to them um, that, that he will accomplish things through prayer. And so what, is that, what does that look, look, look like? In verse um, 10 there, or uh, says, Do not believe, I am the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am the, in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. And I'm sorry. We'll go on down to um, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Here we have this design of how these prayers are to be structured. First is praying in the name of Christ. So if we are, it can't be uh, praying uh, the genie in the bottle prayer. It's a prayer 
uh, about doing the work of the ministry. That's what he's saying. They're going to do these great works in the ministry. So the prayers that they, they are asking is to accomplish what Christ has just instructed them that they will be able to accomplish. And then secondly, we see here in these verses that the, the prayers themselves and the actions that they do should, will glorify God. And so this context here for this verse is, is about the ministry that the apostles will do and those who follow Christ will do and accomplish. I'm at 10 o'clock, so we're going to keep moving because I want to finish out this, this text and the insurance auditor can wait on me for a minute. So, All right, because this is too much fun. I'd rather be doing this than uh, auditing uh, how many electrical cords we have that shouldn't be plugged in. All right, 15. <laughs> if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because of it is neither sees him or nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here we have um, this last aspect of provision um, and the last acts of love and care, which is provision uh, for his followers. He connects love and obedience as the responsibility uh, of his believers. We've already seen that uh, in the previous verses, but now he says, um, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so obedience to the things that Christ has taught demonstrates love um, that the apostles, that the followers of Christ um, have for uh, the Father and for Christ. This is a personal obedience that Christ is describing. It's the individual who are called to be obedient, obedient to Christ. It's a loving obedience. It springs from our devotion to Christ. And it's a certainty in obedience. Those that love him will do this out of the, the love that they have for him. It is a result of loving Christ that first, as we saw earlier, begins in belief. And then putting those um, beliefs into practice through ministry that now leads to obedience. That's going to characterize who we are as believers. We'll move on here to verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see you no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has um, my commandments and keeps them, uh, he it, it's who he loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest uh, to him. Here we have this care of Jesus for his followers. They won't be left alone. He's not going to leave them as orphans, and as he goes away in, in death, he is going to provide for them, and this provision uh, is the coming of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And it comes uh, out of love. Uh, it comes because of Christ's love for them. And the Spirit is the, the one that comes alongside. Judas, in verse 22, this is not Iscariot, as the Scripture said, said to him, Lord, how is it 
that you will manifest yourself to us and not in the world. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace to give to you. Not as the world gives it do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'll come to you. If you love me, you would, not have, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And I now have uh, told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do, as, as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Uh, rise, let's go from here. Here, Jesus finishes out this um, discourse of care, love, and provision for his disciples, talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to come and live among them, and he is going away to accomplish the will of the Father. We have this assurance of the Spirit um, that we know as a follower of Christ, the Spirit is with us, the Spirit is alive with within us even now. The Spirit uh, guides us as we read God's Word. It works in our sanctification. The Spirit um, uh, provides for us. It, it, it rebukes us. It, it, it tells us oh, and, and provides for us through, through God's Word that we might know and, and live for Him and be faithful to Him. We also have an assurance of peace as believers in Christ. He, he kind of, in an inclusio, where he begins with don't, don't be troubled, and now he ends with don't be troubled um, because we have this assurance of peace. And then he speaks to the fact that he's going away. He's going to the Father, but he will uh, return. So we have a picture here of assurance that comes through the resurrection. He says in this last verse, 30, 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Here, Jesus says and ends uh, this kind of conversation with the disciples saying, I am accomplishing, I go to do the things that are about to happen to accomplish the plan of God. Here, Jesus has shown his love. He's provided comfort. He's given hope. And he's demonstrated his provision for his followers so that they may know him and love him. And today, my encouragement to you is that we give thanks and we celebrate this comfort. We celebrate the hope. We celebrate the provision because these um, pictures of God's love are available to us through Jesus Christ just as they were available to the disciples. And we can take comfort in them today knowing that these provisions that God's made for his disciples apply to us as believers even 2,000 plus years later because of what Christ has done and accomplished on the cross. That's this picture of the farewell, beginning of the farewell discourse. 
Jesus' instructions, his final instructions to the disciples. It's been encouraging to me uh, these past days as I've studied and, and read and, and thought uh, through these passages. And so I hope that this time together in study was an encouragement to you. Let's close our time together in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent your Son. Thank you, Lord, that this morning we have uh, just this encouragement of your uh, an instruction to believe, instruction to obey, but Lord, most of all, a picture of hope and comfort uh, even in our own times of trouble, even in our own times of, of concern. That Lord, you haven't left us. You've promised heaven for your children. You've given us the Holy Spirit to come alongside us. And Lord, you provided in so, so many ways through your blessings. And God, you alone are worthy of our praise, glory, and honor. I pray for our church that you would, Lord, bless us and that we would be faithful to you. In Christ's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.